0: Hey, it's Scott Oren of Cruise Consulting and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal, it saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like we see a lot of startups coming in The Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting, in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. And friends with your host, Scotty. Ohm. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today my very special guest is Lauren Creel of Cooley. Welcome, Lauren. Hi,
1: thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. So we worked together back in the day on a company called Fleetsmith. And I want to have you on because we really enjoy working with you and Cooley. And uh, I just want to kind of spread the word a little bit.
1: Thank you. Likewise.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe you can start off just by retracing your career a little bit and telling everyone how you ended up at Cooley.
1: Yeah. No, happy to. So yeah. I'm a, I'm a lawyer and it was never what my intention was. Um, so out of undergrad, I actually thought I wanted to be an economist. I worked on an economic consulting firm. I went off to get a PhD in economics and then just kind of along the way, realized I didn't want to be an academic. and So I had to do a career shift. And so then I went to law school. <laughs> Good news. It's a good fit. Um, And so I actually started practicing. I'm from Texas at a firm in Texas in Austin called Vincent and Elkins. Um, Loved my time there. I was there for approximately three years and then relocated to the Bay Area. So I've been with Cooley ever since. So I think we're going on eight years. And now my practice has shifted a little over time. I think when I started out, I was a generalist. I did kind of everything that a company can do. Um, I really just do startups now and then the VCs that invest in them. And probably that's what I've done for the past five or six years.
0: Yep. It's actually kind of amazing how we can all specialize in startups. (laughs) It's kind of what I I always tell people, the magic of the startup ecosystem has gotten big enough to have specialists like you and I and Cruz and Cooley. And we can all do very well and help a ton of companies. And it's, it's really fun. I was checking out your bio and I loved one of your passions was Texas. Yeah. I just uh, what what about the, I love Texas too. I've been to Austin many times. I love the food. I love the people. Like what's what about Texas is your passion? <laughs>
1: I know, right? It's, it's like it's I loved
0: different it. Different it. It was, that was really <laughs> funny.
1: I'm not from there, and so I think I love it with a deeper passion than if I was like born there. My <laughs> dad so my dad worked for an oil and gas company. I actually was born in LA, right? Like I'm a native Californian, but Oh, no way. Yeah, okay. yeah it's very yeah. random. But so we moved growing up every two to four years. Um, and then I ended up doing high school in Dallas and was like, I'm done with Texas. I'm getting out, you know, when went away for undergrad. And then, you know, you kind of get perspective and came back to Austin and Austin is like the best of all worlds to me. So I think it's, I've lived in enough places that I know what I like and I don't like. And so you know, yeah. Austin at least checks the boxes there for me. It's at least when I lived there, we lived downtown. You could go out to live music every night. I mean, literally you could walk down the street, you yeah. could go run at the lake, right? The quality of life is yeah pretty dang fantastic and then my parents they are there now and it's i mean it's very texas to me it's kind of a hoot they live on this i'd call it a gentleman's ranch where they have 20 acres and like exotic animals that run across their land right it's just like, oh, bizarre wow. and and, like outside, yeah so,
0: yeah that's awesome we have a lot of cruise team members that live there or move there yeah. and uh it's becoming like a like a real cluster for us yeah. so that, that's really great well so in your maybe talk about your practice a little bit. So it sounds like you do both tech and life sciences. You kind of straddle both industries.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, And I think that's for a lot of us who are ECVC or startup attorneys. That's kind of what it looks like in part because you know, quote unquote, under the hood, they largely look the same. There's definitely going to be areas where specialists get involved with one versus the other. Um, and there's details there. But for what I do, right, I'm just general corporate counsel. So doing the day to day, the finance things, that doesn't really matter kind of what kind of company you are. Um, and so I think, you know, on any given year, it's going to vary right now. I probably have slightly more companies that are just truly tech and not life science, but on any other given year it might be it might be the flip
0: it's kind of like a nice natural hedge both (laughs) those industries tend to move out of cycle and biotech's crazy hot tech's hot too right now but sometimes it kind of works out where one you pick up some work in the other yeah um and then when you talk about being just like general counsel like maybe walk people through a when you get involved in companies and b the kind of stuff you do for them maybe at both like early and then later stage yeah
1: you know so would love to be involved as early as possible. Um, you know, we're kind of the first stop when you're gonna get yourself incorporated. So that's where I'd, I'd come in is just help counseling, you know, should you be a corporation? Should you be an LLC? What should your equity structure look like? And just getting you formed. And then usually I just view it as, depending on the analogy that like works for you, it's I'm either your quarterback or I'm your general practitioner doctor. I'm like your first stop to a law firm typically. Because especially with a lot of our startups, as they grow, they don't even have an in-house counsel for a very long point of time, right? And that's what we function as. And so both I'm there and the stuff that I would handle is you're doing your rank and file hiring, firing, getting consultants, doing financings, and kind of just working through that with you. But then also being the kind of liaison between you want to do venture debt, you need to do a commercial agreement, right? Like I will kind of help wrangle the cats, so to speak, and make sure... Um, The train stays on the track. And so that's truly when they're early stage, you know, the CEO and I are typically have a very good relationship because that's my point person, right? Like, um, as they grow up, you know, they'll start to bring people in house and probably have a GC. And so then that's going to be more of my point person. And then just the needs evolve, right? And we'll go wherever a company goes. But, you know, those later stage ones, they're moving overseas will help with that. They're doing much more sophisticated contracts will help with that. So Yeah, we just, I think the firm is set up to grow and go where our companies go.
0: Do you take them all the way through IPO? Like all do all the IPO prep too?
1: We do. We have one that just went out um, that I helped with. You know, my sweet spot is more on the startup. So when they're going to get, I'll take them up till public. Um, And then once they're kind of transitioning over, we'll have usually in that year ahead of time, tried to build out the team, right? The company's just going to have more legal needs. We'll add bodies to it. Um, And then once they're public, they'll have somebody else that's more of their Point person i'll stay involved because i've got historical knowledge yeah but yeah i don't do the sec reporting that's not my sweet spot
0: yeah yeah yeah, that makes perfect sense and you talked about one thing that caught my attention was the uh, getting involved as early as possible yeah. and i'm i'm a fan of that because my heart sinks just a little tiny bit when i'm talking to a potential cruise client and they incorporate themselves or their uncle incorporated them or i'm not sure people understand that it, there's an old saying like uh expensive lawyer is a cheap lawyer (laughs) right in the sense that like if you do things correctly at first it makes everyone's life easier including the accountant's life easier (laughs) maybe kind of talk about that a little bit
1: That's right and it's you know it's, it's you know i feel for our startups right because they're trying to be they don't have a lot of money they haven't fundraised oftentimes and so they're trying to be super cost conscious um and and you know I think we're set up to help work with that. But I do think it's exactly what you said. People then self-help, right? And there are the, so here's what I would say, right? Like formation documents are not exciting. If they are, something's probably gone wrong, right? And so there's plenty of resources out there. And even if you went to Cooley Go, we make our formation docs publicly available because we truly believe like there's nothing exciting or secret sauce. But where we add value and a place like you adds value is in the counseling, right? And that doesn't even need to be a long counseling session. That's a half hour to an hour where we can talk through a company like, should you be an LLC? Should you be a corporation? And like, what are the implications? And it's it's exactly what you said is we get a fair number that self helped around the edges. And if, you know, it could be wrong entity choice, it could be failure to do some very simple paperwork. But if you fail to do it, like file an 83B election, there are pretty bad consequences. We just do this day in, day out. We are crazy efficient, right? And just can make sure you don't drop the balls there, and then have this huge legal bill that is like twice what it would have been if you just, if you just totally. That. So yeah,
0: I totally agree. Let's let's roll through a couple of those real fast because I, it's really helpful. So the LLC versus Delaware C Corp, another hot button thing for me. Yeah, maybe you can kind of give your opinion. And I can chime in.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, by and large, it's going to be a Delaware corporation is going to be the answer. Not always, right? But if you're kind of a typical startup, it's a Delaware corporation for a couple reasons. One is um, VCs largely need to invest into corporations. There can be um, exceptions to the rule, but, you know, especially if you're thinking I'm a startup, you know, you don't really want to put up barriers to raising funds. And part of it, you know, the other piece is that Delaware corporations, it's like 99% of my clients are Delaware corporations. And what you can take from that is there's just a market standard. There's form documents, there's a form way of doing things. It's hyper-efficient. And then if you want to do something bespoke, you know, we can work around the edges versus the good and the bad about an LLC is there's broad flexibility and there's just fewer data points that equates to cost, right? Like if there's not a one set way of doing it. And again, when you're a startup, you know you're not probably trying to be legally unique you're trying to be you know a market leader totally. in other ways yeah um and then i think too you get people i think that and this is totally your space but like more around the llc's and they're like oh it must have like tax savings or implications right but the great thing about under the current regime is with a corporation you've qualified small business stock right that's not mm, available in LLC that. yeah. unless you convert and only convert at the right time um, and that can have huge tax savings for our founders, right, which that's the equity is how they're going to make money out of this. So, again, you can have very sophisticated people that LLCs can make sense and they will wait to do the conversion until later to kind of maximize their QSPS. That's just that's kind of serial entrepreneurs that, you know,
0: it's Too, it's too fancy, it's fancy. It's too you're overthinking it <laughs> um, real fast. The venture capitalists want to invest in Delaware C Corps also because. The, the case law in Delaware yeah. is like very well known. Yeah. So like everyone kind of, I always say they, everyone knows the rules of the game. Yeah. And then their funds cannot invest in pass through entities like LLCs because it messes up their tax, yeah. the funds taxes. And so that that's like kind of the, re- and then you're right about QSPS. I wasn't even thinking about that when I asked the question, but like that's, we we are, especially with like the new kind of Biden tax rules or tax guidance coming out, We have like companies to the almost to the dollar figuring out how they can come in below $50 million in net assets in their next fundraise to preserve QSBS. Do you you have a second to kind of explain that? I can kind of talk around QSBS too, but like, what is that? What is that? Yeah. Know, how should founders think about it?
1: Yeah, no. And yeah, I'm going to lean on you to, to fill in my gaps here. So, and then the great thing is QSBS is not only just a benefit for your early founding team, right? But it's also for your early investors. This is why they will be hyper-focused on it as well. And so it's this kind of, I'm going to call it a great hack in the tax code that continues, right? We, we hope it continues. But effectively, if if a company, it has to be a corporation, issues stock Directly, so it, re- it needs to be st- you know company issuing to person, not a secondary. That stock can be QSBS. You've got to be in certain industries, so not every company can qualify. Um, and then also, the company for qualified small business stock needs to have under its fifty million dollars in assets. You you chime in when I get my. It freedom. needs
0: to be on a tax basis, okay. assets, not what your QuickBooks says but actually like the depreciation schedules coming out of your tax returns so it's really important like I've had companies kind of overthinking a little bit looking at their quickbooks and we're, and we're like hold on a second we need to get our tax team involved because we actually have to look at this on a tax basis okay.
1: Yes. See, and this is also when my companies are wanting to do their QSBS analysis. I'm like, we need accountants now. Um, or at least act like somebody with act. And the point is, so that can mean, right, up until for your first couple rounds, you can actually issue qualified small business stock. You know, those later rounds are going to blow that. Um, but the benefit here is that there's certain kind of restrictions. But if you have held your stock for five years by the time of an exit, which especially for, you know, your early stage startups often gets met by the time you have an exit event, it's up to 10 10 million of the gain is basically essentially tax-free, right? It's just, this is like hacking the tax code where they're incentivizing people to invest in startups. And so that can have a huge impact on exit and have a huge tax savings. And so there'll be things too along the way, we will help. Um, one of the ways you can blow that up is if you repurchase stock from people and you don't think about it. And so that's just like, places where we try to add value as like when you're trying to get liquidity, great, but like let's structure it. So you don't just like hate yourself a year from now when you exit, right? Like
0: it is like the loan remaining kind of tax hack for, for startups. And you save a ton of money on capital gains. Yeah. It, it's like, it's crazy. And you're right about the investors caring about it too. Pretty much every fundraising kind of document process we go through, it's asking the founders in the company really to rep to QSBS, which just for full disclosure, we always kind of are pretty cautious about that because there are things that we don't know or maybe the founders don't know. So you, we always kind of try to give comfort but not do like a full rep. But sometimes everyone, you know, it's a little bit of a negotiation there. But everyone should be laser focused on that if the amount of capital you raise is getting close to $50 yeah. million. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, and it is, it's like, this is one of the reasons why being a corporation isn't bad. like, you know, you, know, you always hear LLCs yeah. are like the tax efficient way but hey
0: here we've got a hack for you so yeah that's that's a really good point i'm so glad you brought that hey it's scott orner cruise consulting and before we get back to the podcast quick shout out to chart hop chart hop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market and basically what chart hop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud and i always like to say like it brings transparency to your organization and so You know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals in the company. And so you can click on the Chartop profile and just get, like, where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is Chartop has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving ChartHop. Check it out Chartop.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it and I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. The other thing you mentioned was, and this is so simple, but we just spent a minute on it, 83B filings. They are just, my, again, my heart sinks when I someone asks me the 83B filing question, cause I know they haven't done it. And <laughs> my immediate reaction is, when did you, when, how, how long have you, when was the stock issued? Do you have 30 days still, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, can you
1: talk people through that? Yeah, and so if you're a founder and you're issuing stock, if it's unrestricted, right, so no vesting, you don't need to care about an 83b so if anyone is listing and their stock is fully vested you know and you're like i didn't file an 83b rest easy um so this is truly for founders where you've issued stock with vesting restrictions which does happen in most startups particularly if it's more than one founder right you'll have yeah
0: pretty much all the time i mean yes, you know
1: you'll have vesting yeah. restrictions and so basically it's again it's kind of like a tax hack again but basically if you have vesting on your shares You need to file what is called an 83B election. It's a one pager and you send it to the IRS and here's the ticket. It is 30 days. It is 30 days. (laughs) There is no exception to the rule. I have had a client, you know, mean to file it, had a baby come early, you know, just kind of got off track because was doing the newborn thing and was like, is there an exception? IRS does not care, right? Like, and the catch is, is this will basically result in you have when you bought your stock there's no spread between what you paid and what the stock was worth typically in your early found in the early companies and so you've basically and again I'm going to look to you to help with the tax here but um you've really saved yourself a lot on taxes if you fail to file you're basically having this tax event every time you vest and on that spread you're realizing income this can be probably
0: ordinary income tax not capital gains tax kind of thing eventually yeah and so, so that's you, the big difference it's
1: problematic for both the founder cuz you're getting income like you're getting hit with inc- ordinary income that you didn't think you're getting hit with and then also for the company if 83 B U elections weren't made they're supposed to be making certain withholdings that they probably aren't making cuz they didn't think to think about this so again it's it's such an easy hack it's just take your E3B election and stick it in the mail. You can even docusign it now, right? Like the IRS rules have changed. They're trying to make it easy, but you will. You'll find companies to your point where you hear, you know, two months later, oh, I I didn't get around to it. It's, there's no, there's ways to help. There are no ways to solve, right? So that's just.
0: It's really expensive to try to do anything around it. And it's kind of like, I hate to say it, but it's kind of a litmus test for, are you an organized founder and are you going to be successful? It's, there's not, it's not a good, it's a, it's, and if you make that mistake, hopefully you learn your lesson that moment and you become an organized yeah. founder. And, but just, you know, it's not a, it's not a signal to your investors yeah. that you've got your stuff together. No, you
1: know, and we, we, we DD it all the time. Like if I'm investing yeah. on in those first rounds, cause you're, especially if someone didn't have a law firm involved, it, it's way too easy to mess up. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's scary. Speaking of you mentioned early in the conversation Cooley Go. Mm-hmm. Like can you talk about I mean, it's a resource that I send tons of entrepreneurs to. It's really amazing. I think Cooley, Cooley was like the first startup law firm to really like get its content out there and really help people in a proactive way. It's it has been it's been going for like, I want to say like 10 years or eight years or something like that, I think
1: right? That's right. No, and it's it's kind of, you know, I'll give a throw out. You know, Matt Vardis helped spearhead it. He's kind of the head of the E C V C practice here. It's you know, and I think the entire group of us startup attorneys have kind of embraced it. Um, and I, I mean I love it. its I think it is and you know also just something that speaks volumes to the firm in the sense that we really do invest in trying to add value to startups and we know that you are cost conscious and so like this is a free resource and so it does a couple things. it one just has FAQ so it's like this 83b election there's going to be a little blurb on it and you can go read about it. It is truly set up to be for I'm a startup CEO. Um, so it's that tone. It's not going to be technical. It's supposed to be a very easy resource. The other thing is, if you guys see questions that you think are not being answered, tell me because it's like truly it is supposed to be for that market. Um, I do the same
0: thing. We do. I love it when people email me and say, hey, I didn't see this question answered. Yeah. Can you answer it for me? And we immediately make a video for it. It's that easy. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like we're trying Right. We're trying to just you build out the community. Um, the other thing it does is we make a lot of those common documents publicly available. So like your offer letter, your IP assignment agreement for your employees, your consulting agreement, the incorporation documents. And though truly, they are best of breed, right? They're up to date with current law. They're publicly available. They are the same form I use for my paying clients. We're not giving you like generic <laughs> <laughs> hacked version because again, it's this like compassion or this like belief that we have that like. These documents are very not exciting, right? Like, And this isn't where we add value. We add value in the counseling. We add value as you grow up. We want to preserve your money so that you can not put it towards legal bills, (laughs) put it towards building your company. Because, again, when you get big, you will have big legal needs and we will be there for you. The other couple things it does that I think are nice is if you go, I think it's under Trends, we do, you know, quarter on quarter, I think according to PitchBook, you know, we're number one or number two on firms doing financing. So we just – we do a very large volume of financings and internally we pull the data behind those deals, the valuation, how much was raised, what industry are you in? And then we actually anonymize it and make it available and you can kind of go through on Tableau. And so if you're like, Hey, like what was the pre-money valuation on a series A deal? Right? Like it just is an easy way to get like a pulse of what's going on in the market. Yeah,
0: It's actually really helpful to know where the valuation trends are going. Also terms like, liquidation preferences or bridge rounds or the distribution between seed series A's, you know, that's like you Cooley does produce a lot of really helpful data. Thank you. Yeah. And so we, so that's a resource everyone can, can access, you know, easily, cheaply. What's kind of the message to, you talked about kind of the services you do for like a late stage company for early stage company. Are there specific industries inside of tech or inside of biotech that you're focused on? Like you, you like, Biotech drug companies, or you like diagnostic companies, or you're a SaaS person. Like, I'm trying to kind of let the audience know, you know, what kind of companies you really like working with so they can reach out to you.
1: Yeah, no, and it's a great question. Um, I'm agnostic in the sense that, you know, because for me, it's the legal piece that's interesting. And I mean, I love going to your board meetings and learning about it. And it lets me, you know, I've got this like academic in me from my <laughs> previous days. And yeah. so learning about the different industries. So I've got kind of just companies. That Across the spectrum. I think lately it's been this like wonderful trend we've seen. I actually have more women CEOs in the past year than I think I've had across my entire career. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but that's, you know, so I think that's a portion of the clientele I have now and I love it. Right. Like it's super fun.
0: Yeah. We're seeing the same thing and we, I don't know if it's selection bias for us because Vanessa Cruz is our founder, yeah. and so we have a woman CEO. So I'm not sure yeah. if like women CEOs pick us more often, but we're yeah. definitely seeing that allocation go up. It's it's just really good. It's 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 like the venture capital markets are opening up to people of all colors, ethnicities, yeah. sex. You know, it's just it feels like it's it's probably it's not equal playing field yet, but it's going that way. And when I look back on like when I used to work at Lighthouse, a venture lending fund, we had two women partners out of five and we were totally unique. Like no one yeah. had that kind of ratio, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's really, I'm actually really proud of that. It's really cool. Yeah,
1: it is. Right. And I think you're right. It's the, For whatever reason, this last year has been really just a C shift and it's great.
0: Yep. As a general counsel, a, a woman, do you have any like words of wisdom for all the female founders who are out there that are listening to this or I just for my wife when she listens to this? <laughs>
1: I mean, so I think if you're a startup, there are, um, know that there are both funds that are run by women who are truly just looking to invest in women. Um, So that's one thing that that's, I think, lovely to at least try to do a pitch call with them to see if that's something, you know, to have that voice, to have that support. There are also funds that may not necessarily just be women VCs, but they have expressed a commitment to being behind kind of, I think they call it MWBE, minority women enterprises and so that's also something that you might want to take into account it's just these people are committed we've also had in the last year more funds and entities have kind of not even like events or things around it so for example and my intel may be a little out of date but like i think um goldman sachs and b of a and like there's all these like very big entities that are now devoting funds to um founders and so know that there are resources um you know go ahead and talk the, the normal VCs, but there's also these other ones that you might want to entertain. Yeah,
0: I've heard about the Goldman Sachs one where they're super focused on women and people of color. Yeah, That's really, really amazing. Well, this has been really helpful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Is there any, like, maybe you can tell everyone how they can reach out to you if they want to work with you and- Yeah, you
1: know. yeah, I would love to. And, and thank you for having of me. Course. Um If you'd like to reach me, so email's easy, L Creel, so C-R-E-E-L, at Cooley, so it's C O O L E Y dot if you Google Lauren Creel and Cooley, you know, we get a splashy page that comes out so you can find me that way too. And those are the best ways to to get a hold of me and I love to talk to you. You know, my bread and butter is startups. And so if that is you, <laughs> please talk to me.
0: Definitely will. And I can vouch for your work with a company we worked with on together was eventually acquired by Apple. So they did pretty well for themselves. And you've <laughs> done, worked on IPOs and done a ton of stuff. So it's been really great working with you. And thanks for the time, Lauren. Really appreciate your, your time here.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Cool. My pleasure. Bye-bye.
1: So when your troubles are mountain in tax or accounting, you go
0: to cruise. and friends with your host, Scotty Ohm.